This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 24th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and on this episode, I am tremendously honored to be joined by a living legend of comedy, the great Lily Tomlin. But before we get to that, let's recap what's going on in the overall awards race. I'm currently up at the Palm Springs International Film Festival, where a lot of talent has cycled through in recent days, from Will Smith and Charlie Kaufman to all nine of the filmmakers whose films have been shortlisted for the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar, with whom I just moderated a panel, video of which will be airing on THR very soon. I arrived here this afternoon from New York, which has been a hotbed of awards insanity over the last few days, with the New York Film Critics Circle Awards, the National Board of Review Awards, and a lot of other stuff scheduled around then. But things are heading back shortly to Los Angeles, where Friday will bring the AFI Awards luncheon, Saturday the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards, and Sunday the Golden Globe Awards. Why is everybody rushing to get things done before this weekend, though? Because voting for the Oscar nominations, which began on December 30th, closes on Friday. January 8th. So people are going all out, leaving no Oscar voter uncorded. One person, though, who's been more measured than most about all of this hullabaloo has been Lily Tomlin, who is generating quite a bit of buzz herself at the moment for her performance in Paul White's $600,000 indie dramedy Grandma, which was shot in just 16 days, premiered at Sundance last January, and went on to strong reviews in box office when Sony Classics released it in August. Most of the positive attention centered around Tomlin, who's now 76 and hadn't played a lead role on the big screen since 1988's Big Business, but who returned in a big way as a lesbian woman embittered after the death of her longtime partner who has to set aside her own problems in order to try to help her granddaughter pay for an abortion. It sounds a little nutty, which is probably why Tomlin, a chameleon who has specialized in nutty characters in every medium over the last 50 years, handled it so perfectly. She started in TV before making films with the likes of Robert Altman and now has returned to the smaller but increasingly competitive screen on Netflix's Grace and Frankie, which has just been renewed for a third season. But for a few more days, at least, her focus is on Grandma, for which she received a Best Actress Gotham Award nom and is up for Best Actress in a Comedy at both the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice Awards, which will take place in a matter of days. We should note that she's also nominated at the Golden Globe Awards for Best Actress in a TV Comedy for Grace and Frankie. She's a living history of comedy, still going strong, and it was a great treat for me to get to pick her brain recently in Los Angeles where we sat down, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. 
Thank you very much for doing this. And uh, happy get, to be here. <laughs> great, great having you. And between Grace and Frankie and Grandma, you've obviously made a lot of people laugh this year. And so, first question I had is, when did you first realize that you were funny, or that you could be funny, or just that there was this uh, thing in you that makes people laugh? Well, golly, I don't really know. I mean. Uh, maybe I just expected people to be sort of funny because my parents were Southern. Mm -hmm. They came to Detroit so my dad could work. And um, my whole family was Southern and they were all kind of individual and quirky and people would make com comedic references to them. Like, uh, you know, they talk about how cheap somebody was. <laughs> and their characters always made me laugh. I mean, that's what really gets me is... His character, some essence, because it's like speaks to humanity so so vividly, so strongly. Um, not not lines so much as their behavior. Well, it sounds from what I've read that you grew up in an apartment building that was peopled filled, with a lot of characters. People, yeah. right? Especially in those days, I you know it seems to me like there are fewer and fewer characters in the <laughs> in the culture. Right. So People how would are more you conforming? How did you you would just kind of roam the roam the building or Yeah, I would. I would go from apartment to apartment and hang out. I couldn't even be shamed away. <laughs> you know, people would say, you know, like I like to hang out with all different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a woman in the building who was like a she was single and I guess she'd been married, she had a child. And her boyfriend slept over, and everybody talked about it. She was my good friend. She was 10 or 15 years older, but I was the kind of kid that just hung out with people. And uh, she just died a year or two ago, and so and because she was like the building hussy, you know. But her other, her good friend at the building was uh, a woman who's still living, and she was my good friend, too. I mean, when I was 10, they became like my, you know, they let me hang around. I mean, that says something about you, that you could ingratiate yourself with all kinds of different people. Apparently, you know, I would go, and I would go to uh, other apartments, like, and I would do whatever they did. I just was hung on, I just was mad for them. So I, I want, I, they would tickle me and make me laugh, and I'd be <laughs> so excited to just hear what they had to say and what they ate and what they thought. And, uh, and the woman who uh, died, uh, her boyfriend was a communist, Everybody, there was all different politics right, in the right. building, apolitical. Right. I, Mrs. Rupert was a woman who was a botanist who kind of stayed to herself, you know. She had two sons that I swore were in the CIA. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was a rich, rich building, at least. Neighborhood was pretty hot, too. So I guess there's probably an element of performance in that where you're adapting to the circumstances. But when did performance as a career consideration first emerged. I can only go on what I've read, and it sounds like there was a turning point when you were at Wayne State University, and you were a pre-med oh, student? That's right, yeah. Pre-med? Oh, yeah, I never would have made it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I had a romantic idea about about what people should do. Uh, and I thought I should be a doctor and help people. And uh, then I, and I took, but I took ballet and tap as a child at the, Department of Parks and Recreation, uh, and I did all kinds of stuff like that. Put on shows on the back porch, and and sold tickets, mm -hmm. and did every. I tried to cast other kids in it, and they would walk away or not show <laughs> up. Or anyway, so um, yes, it was in college, and I I got I got into a show, 
and um, it was the Mad Woman of Shio at the big theater at the at the at the school, and and I went over there on a on a, a challenge from the girl that I was in a, a zoology a microbiology course with. Mm-hmm. And she was very imperious. She was a good friend too. <laughs> and she, but she could switch between like Snow White's stepmother and Susie Sorority. And I was talking, and so I was in my lab, and I was sort of addicted to xylene. Have you ever heard of it? No, what's talking? xylene? Xylene is an oil immersion slide solvent that you you know you do a, you inspect an, uh, some item under in an oh, oil okay. immersion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you have to clean the slide. So we had a little tiny lab bottle, real yep. thick glass, and it would just take a few little tiny fragments of an ounce. And I used to sprinkle it on my books and sit there during a lecture <laughs> inhaling it. And so I had access to a lot of xylene. I was mad for it. Okay. And then I would. And then I, this particular day, I'm throwing my compass point into the laptop table, wood, you know, throwing chipping up wood. Right. <laughs> and she said to me. She just turned around and said, I just abhor mindless vandalism. <laughs> and she's how old, probably? Like, oh, she sounded very imperious, like 19, an old actress. Though, probably, yeah, right? she was 19. Yeah. And she'd been voted prettiest girl in high school. Okay. So she was uh, very confident. <laughs> Except she would be confident up to a certain point, and then she would be like Susie Sorority. Right, right. Real wimpy. Like, no, no, he wasn't. <laughs> so she says, come over to the show? No, she she did say, she said, I'm going to read for the Mad Woman of Shio. You should come along. There are a lot of small parts. Oh, my gosh. Oh. So that sort of incensed me to go in. And then I got there, and I didn't know what to do, even though I'd put on all those shows, and but I didn't know how to audition. or. So I left my name, and they sure enough did need a lot of small parts parts and they called me and asked me if I'd do a walk-on and so I said oh yeah I will I thought that would be fun so I was like a person in the cafe in the first act and then in the second act I got to be one of the capitalist women who was banished to the netherworld of the mad woman's basement and this idea of acting immediately had some kind of appeal to you or well I'd done all those shows on my back porch I right. performed all the time right. but I didn't think of it as performing and I had I had led the other two mad women wives down the circular staircase into the cellar uh, with an improv. You were improving on, yeah, the, sh- on the show. Yeah, and the kids just all the theater majors, they would run out all during rehearsal period to see what I was going to do because I would do do it differently every time. Right. And uh, so I said, "Gee, this is really great. I love doing this. I feel so at home right. on the stage." And uh, so then I got into a variety show that they were doing. I mean, they asked me to mm-hmm, come and be in mm-hmm. it because they heard so much about me in this play. And, I, of course, again, they gave me all the best parts, like Miss Kitty in a gun smoke sketch and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just sophomoric. It and was, meanwhile, there's not been any formal study of acting at that point, right? Or has no, there been even no, no, since? No, I, Not really. Well, I've had a couple of acting teachers. Yeah. Uh, but I never went over that well in class. I had to learn on my, I had to figure out a technique. It was hard because you don't have, you're confused about what people do. It probably would have been better if I'd had some kind of training. Um, but I, Or maybe not. Maybe they would have robbed you of the, the ability to do improv and yeah, things Yeah, maybe. Like- uh, not that I'm a great improvisational actor, but I can do a certain amount of it. Right. I can do it if it's based on life. How 
important is it to you from then through now when you're playing a character to be able to relate to that character? Because I think in Grandma, which we'll obviously focus on more shortly, but it's set from what I've read, again, this was a character that you could relate to as much as any in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, and I'd created a lot of characters of my own prior to that. In fact, that's what put me on the map, made me famous from Laugh-In. So let's talk about that because that was the next thing I wanted to bring up. That was a pretty almost overnight change of life for you with that. How did it come about and how did you handle this sudden well, fame? Well, I, I, I mean, I went on another show first, Music Scene, mm-hmm. and um, that got canceled mid-term, mid-season. So I had had the offer to go on Laugh-In prior, and I, turned, I, di- I decided to go with Music Scene because I thought it was hipper. I'm not familiar with music scene, but that... Yeah, what? music scene was, uh, I'll tie in with Billboard, and we oh, had, yeah. David Steinberg was the head yeah. kid, and four or five others of us, and we formed a troupe of comedians, or whatever we're supposed to be, and we would have to dramatize or <laughs> or introduce the same songs almost every week, because you know, they stay on the charts right, for a right. long time, and we... Uh, but we'd have a concert with like Jimi Hendrix or Janis wow. Joplin. Wow. We were like totally, wow. really, way hip. Yeah, I chose that. Right, right, right. You know, and so then, so the offer was still open to come to Laugh In, and I went and met with George Slaughter, and I just we just hit it off. I just loved him. He totally got me in some way. And prior to that, you had been doing stand up. Yes, I started doing a little stand-up. You know, a lot of this... I did care. I had invented characters, right? And so the ones that you're so still to this day, people associate with you from the Laughing days were actually predated Laughing, right? Yeah. Well, Ernestine and Edith, def- Edith Ann, definitely predated Laughing. Yeah. Uh, others, others came shortly after that when I started doing my own specials, uh, and there was oh, I, and and uh, Lupe. Mm-hmm. The world's oldest living beauty expert. <laughs> oh, and the rubber freak. Right. I did those on Merv Griffin. What about, where's Tommy Valor? Oh, Tommy Valor came from a special. And Bobby Janine? Bobby, Bobby Janine came from a special. Okay, so these... <laughs> but they were all people that I just adored, you know. Like, I, I mean, I, 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 the Bobby Janine I did adore because I used to go to a, a place in Glendale. Uh, it was like a supper club, and this woman, Cheryl Corby, was a cocktail organist, and her husband... Uh, uh, Tony I think his name was he he would like play the snare drum like you know and they do and I don't she didn't even sing but (laughs) and she was very uh, ladylike and proper and I so I wanted to do Bobby Janine you know like she'd been a church organist that's my story for her and so then she played in, in places where people drank and stuff but and she was always very ladylike and cordial and right had cute little sayings like Opera- uh, marriage is operation cooperation. And anyway, so yeah, Bobby Jean, I did that on, because when I got a, got to do, after I was on Laugh-In, yeah. and I didn't go into Laugh-In until the third year, mm-hmm. um, so then I, and I, and I just, Ernestine was just like an overnight sensation. Well, that's what I, so I've got to ask you the, the two that I, I would get murdered if I didn't ask you about were Ernestine and Edith Ann, because would, would you say those two had the, the biggest following in a sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. because Laughing it was a huge, huge show. Yeah. Uh, there were, I don't even think Fox existed, did it? There was just no. the three networks, right. and uh, people watched, I mean, millions of people watched Laughing every Monday night, and people would tell me later, 
Oh, Lily laughing meant so much to our family. I mean, it was the only show that I, we could sit down with our mother and dad and share together. Right. And, uh, and it just really was like a, an addiction. And when you came on as Ernestine, we just cracked. Even <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald told me really? that at, on, at Carson one night. Wow, wow, she wow. was in the hallway. Our dressing rooms were across the hall from each other. And she said she said to her cousin or aunt or somebody who was in the waiting for her, she says, get out here, get out here. Here's Ernestine. <laughs> <laughs> she said, we rolled off the couch. You know, when Ernestine would come on, we would just fall about. And, and where did Ernestine and, and Edith Ann come from? What was the well, origin uh, story there? A young guy named Jim Rusk, uh, who's died now, mm-hmm. I used to pay him to pitch with him. And he wrote co- musical comedy little mm-hmm. ditty things. Like, really, he's very clever. Mm-hmm. And I, I tried to get him on laughing on the writing staff, and they wouldn't hire him. Uh, and I swear I think it was because he was... Uh, he was just kind of squirrely, mm-hmm. you know, and they just didn't get him. They were yeah. just all kind of macho guys. Yeah. I don't even think we had a female writer really? on the wow. staff. I don't recall one. But anyway, and he wrote on my specials, uh, but I could not get him on laughing. I, I should talk to George about that to mm. this day. Anyway, um, so we, we were going to do a, a, because the phone company had just been, uh, had just been suspicions of... Oh, of, monopolization. Yeah, mon- or or yeah, the monopoly thing yeah. was a big issue. Right. But they also were supposed to have aided, you know, like covertly oh. with tapping wires sure, and sure, stuff. Sure, 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 So that was a rich <laughs> subject. So we started to try to invent a, a telephone operator. And uh, we were going to make her like a tough Bronx. I didn't expect to go to go anyplace. <laughs> I was just in New York right. and wanted to be a New York actor. Right. Right. So um, that's what we did. So, and then as we worked on her, and I would work on her at home by myself, and the more I worked on her, Jim provided a lot of the material. Like she'd say, oh, isn't it cute? <laughs> and like she'd say, according to, according to your files, your present bank balance and your stocks and so on, and little then she'd say, and they'd say, oh, isn't it cute? No, no, sir. Later I did another joke on it. I can't remember what she'd say <laughs> at that time, but I'd say, um, Apparently you haven't read the the Patriot Act, <laughs> but uh, so then it was something appropriate to that time. Sure. But so Ernestine just and as I did her, she got tighter and tighter, <laughs> and, her, and she started and her face was all screwed up and she started to snort. It was right. all serendipitous. That's amazing. And how about uh, Edith Ann? Edith Ann was uh, well. I just wanted to do a child. Right. And I had started. Uh, I had d- done. Ernestine and Edith in my act before I went to right, the Laugh-In. Right. And, uh, and Edith was just me doing a kid. I wanted to do a little girl. And I and the woman who was friends with the woman who was the building hussy, right. she had a little girl, her middle child, was a little tiny young girl, and we lived in the apartment house. This was years and years before. And she had a very deep voice. It wasn't like that. Right, That's right. just how it comes out right, of me. Right, right. But she had a very deep voice. Right. And I used to just be enamored of her, you know, listening to her talk. So when I got the chance to do a kid, I tried to pitch my voice in a deep right. way. And, uh, and, and, and that catchphrase, and that's the truth... <laughs> that came from I met, I was on the road with Dan and Dick working on Edith Ann. Uh, I, I went out on the road with them the first season that I was on Laugh-In, 
and I had Ernestine. Ernestine was a big, and I had other characters sure. too. See, I had a '50s teenager who would be at a school dance, and that was kind of poignant and everything. I, I had developed, you know, several little characters. Yeah, yeah. So, but I was working on Edith Ann. I would just improv her with the audience. That's I would ask them to ask me questions, and so, uh, and so at that, I was at a hotel at uh, Del Webb's chain of hotels where we were staying at one place. And I'm down in the lobby one day, and a little girl is there. She's about four years old. And she had a speech. I learned later mm-hmm. what this was. She had a speech impediment mm-hmm. where her tongue was too big for her mouth at that point. She didn't have control of her tongue <laughs> oh totally. Oh, gosh. And they outgrow it. Right. But, and she was so adorable. And she's sitting there, and she's saying she had like a, a snake, a stuffed snake doll, like a big happy right. snake. And she said... Uh, she didn't have a deep voice, but she said, I have to give my snake a bath. <laughs> With the tongue. <laughs> and she'd blow a raspberry. That's great. That's and then great. I, and I'm listening to her, and every time she said a TH, she blew a raspberry. <laughs> well, that's it. That's great. So now, the first film that you did, I believe, was Nashville, which is kind of unbelievable because... Unbelievable, Altman. Yeah, I gotta ask, how did it come about? And then the fact that you got such good feedback, including an Oscar nomination, how did you process that? Well, I first of all, I was very resistant to uh, playing the game or being part of this part of the system. So, I remember my pet Kingsley must have been PMK. She mm-hmm, was like mm-hmm. preeminent uh, publicist mm-hmm. in those days. She's retired now. Sure. She became a great friend, and so she wanted me to go on a bunch of stuff, you know, to promote the movie and promote me. And I said, No, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to go on any. I didn't go on anything. I didn't win either, but <laughs> <laughs> well, but of that massive ensemble, which is obviously what he was so associated with. I think it was you and was it Ronnie Blakely? Oh, that Ronnie were, Blakely you got were the nominated. Two nominees, I think, right? Was yeah, any, I don't know if anybody else, but no, I think that's a testament. To, I mean, for a first movie, you were just kind of felt at home. Was it Altman? What brought that out in you? Well, my family's Southern, so I know the Southern right, culture. Right, right. Um, I, I, Ned Beatty was my husband. Mm-hmm. I know that whole thing, good old boys and everything they do, and white patent leather loafers and a white patent leather belt. And, right. Um, I had my kids were deaf. Right. I took sign language for three months to try to learn to speak it, but I couldn't. Right. right. I memorized it. Yeah. And I was there a long time. We were there two months, and we only worked about two weeks each, every actor. Yeah. And so I, uh, I spent a lot of time with the kids, with the boy particularly, Jimmy Calvert, and his mom was very outgoing and everything. I knew how the, the, the their salt their culture would feel mm-hmm. if she sang with a black choir. They would say something like they would excuse her mm-hmm. because her children were were deaf. Right. She would they were her children were disenfranchised in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Positive experience overall, though you enjoyed oh, it. It was it was glorious yeah. to be in Nashville and be in Altman movie for the first time. And yeah. Uh, we had Altman and I had the same agent. In fact, I just was talking to somebody today, and uh, he said his favorite movie was Cuckoo's Nest. Uh-huh. And I brought up the fact that Louise Fletcher, who yeah. won for yeah, Nurse yeah. Ratchet, I was I, I sort of was thought about for that role. I you know with really? Mike, Michael Douglas and all that yeah. stuff. And she was supposed to be my character Are in Nashville. Serious? Wow! And she and her husband had uh, been involved in produce. She was a, a player in right. uh, um, Thieves Like Us. Yeah, yeah. And her husband was a producer. 
and they and she, Altman and her husband had had a fight, and she pulled away from Nashville. Well, ironically, she can do sign language because weren't her, her parents, parents both? Deaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. that's where that idea came from. Interesting. Well, but I didn't learn that until quite a until the night she won the Oscar. Yeah. Uh, and she signed to her parents, and I thought, how interesting, and. We wrote each other, and then I asked around, and I sort of found out from somebody that she was supposed to have Linnea's role. Wow. Amazing. And When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And do you think the thing that made Nashville possible that put you on Altman's radar was the fact that you shared the agent and he probably had seen your work? Or? Was that we shared the agent yeah. and Sam Cohn was very used to... Packaging, right? Packaging. Yeah, yeah, putting yeah. his clients yeah. in movies. or And he loved Altman. He was mad for Altman. And... Uh, and so he, I'm sure he promoted me to Altman for that. Sure. Well, before we get quite down fully to business on Grandma, I just want to mention, if I can, a couple of the other great film roles and just the first thought or two that All right, comes okay. back to you if we can. And the first one was produced but not directed by Altman, The Late Show. So two years later, The Late Show. What do you <laughs> remember most about that? Um, well, I worked with Art Carney and Bill Macy. Bill Macy, uh, who was... Not the... Uh, <laughs> with the H. <laughs> yeah, with, not with the H, right. Bill Macy, who was Maud's husband, for one thing. And what I, what I remember most about it was I fought with the crew a lot. Really? Yeah, because... Uh, and, Al- and Altman produced it, so we would go at his office every night and watch dailies. Mm-hmm. Or if we, were, if we were able to go. If we were night shooting, we didn't go. So, and I loved Al- uh, Art, Car- Art Carney. was a mm-hmm. dear guy. And so um, it was all about the lighting because my hair was really black in those days. Mm-hmm. And my face was long. And Art Carney's has white hair and a florid skin. Right. And we were shoot. it was a low budget, like a couple, couple of million or something. And uh, we they were bouncing light off the ceiling That's in me. this little house in East L.A. Right. where Art had a rooming, uh, he was like in a rooming house. And the rooming lady was uh, Ruth, um, oh, I can't think of her last name. She was married to John Chamberlain, the director, and mm-hmm. Jamie Chamberlain is mm-hmm. their son. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she was very dear. I can't think of her last name. We'll, look, it. It. we'll, we'll, we'll look that okay. up. Okay, so I fought with the crew and everything, and, yeah. and, and it was just a classic story of that era. It was 75 or 6. Right. And... Uh, and I, I'd say, so we didn't see dailies for four or five days because we were at night shooting. 
And when I saw them, I was sort of stricken because my hair didn't have any highlights. My hair was really dark, right. flat. My face looked long and and uh, was not good. And I don't think comedy plays well if you don't look well. Uh-huh, uh-huh, interesting. Anyway, so we, we, we worked it all out, but it was uh, a bit tough. I know one of the ones that you are still asked about probably as much as any and that unfortunately is still very relevant is nine to five. Oh yeah well that was great because that was my first uh i knew i knew jane and i knew dolly um and and jane uh was preparing the movie and she came and saw me at the amundsen and my one in my show my appearing nightly my mm-hmm. first one woman show and and dolly and i was good friends with her manager sandy gallon at the time and it, that was just uh a blessing. Could you ever have imagined that 35 years later no, we'd be sitting no, here in the same crap? No, no, we did. Although we stayed friends all these right. years, but no. Well, and not only that you'd be working, point, yeah, that you'd be working, but also that the issue is no, not a lot better than it, the the issue of oh, uh, wage and wait, equality equal, and all yeah, of that. Right. Yeah, right. No, it's it's inched up in small increments, yeah. but no, it's still in great imbalance. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but we, ne- but Jane and I couldn't have known either that. No. That, that we would have a jo- uh, this kind of a, a, an offer at this point in our lives. Right. That's so cool. And and has Dolly ever petitioned to join you guys on the show? No, well, Jane and I have been talking about, we they were trying to get the show settled, you yeah. know, so that the image of 9 to 5 doesn't intrude too much. And uh, so we have an idea we're going to pitch to Marta. Oh, that's great. That about great. including Dolly in our third season. All me. All of me. Oh, yes. it's one of my. That's one of my favorite movies because uh, I just loved it because it was so lyrical and right. funny. And Steve and Dick Libertini, they they improv the whole back and bowl, back and bowl, <laughs> and that's what everybody rem- seems to remember. The most, yeah. But uh, no, I loved it. I loved it. But I've always been kind of a cheeky. <laughs> you know, I was always very protective of the whole movie. Right, right. I wanted it to be right. You have done two movies with David O. Russell. Uh, yes. <laughs> Flirting with Disaster and I Heart Huckabees. And in the years since then, I mean, that really kind of started what has become a, a very blossomed career for him. And you guys, I, I, he's a colorful guy. You guys had an interesting time. What do you remember most when you look back on those? Um, well, I'm still quite crazy about David. He's a great filmmaker. In some ways, he kind of made me think of Altman, but they're really? diametrically opposed as types. But there was something about David that was, uh, I don't know, it was like somehow like Altman, and I can't... Maybe big casts of great actors. They both maybe, have, yeah, maybe you know, if you so. Think big ensembles. Yeah. Um, but David, uh, the first movie we did, uh, the first one was... Um, Flirting with Disaster. Flirting yeah. with Disaster. And that was a funny script. I laughed so hard every time I read it. I'd read, I'd read the same thing. And he allowed for improv, yeah. too. Uh, and so, like at the dinner table with Alan Alda, we did a lot of imp- improv that got into the movie. And, uh, and then, and I loved, I loved making Huckabees, too. It mm-hmm. was just so off the wall. And and every movie he makes is different. Yeah, totally amazing. So uh, it was just uh, it was pretty pretty fun. And we had a big viral video out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you've been very nice. I think about always saying that that was the exception to the rule. That was not like the regular. Situation, no, no. Right? But he he's a wild guy. I mean, he's a 
you know, he's going to express himself. Maybe he's like really backed off a little bit, but I kind of like him in his bad boy suit, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as the years have gone by, have you found Hollywood to be, you know, we, we talked about this on the panel the other day, just that it's not a town that, at least in the studios, is very is known for being very welcoming or even just providing interesting opportunities for women after 40 or whatever age. And as you've And gone, not even so interesting before even 40. Even maybe before. So as you've traversed that period... It's, they're going to follow the culture. I mean, they should lead it. They mm-hmm. could certainly be one of the leaders. Uh, and maybe in some fashion, uh, there have been people. But uh, no, I mean, they reflect the culture, in my opinion. And so, uh, and men are men dominate the world in power and money, and they have no, you know, from to varying degrees, they have no use for women at all, or very, you know, perfunctory mm-hmm. service positions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to someone who's very much more liberally minded and and has a different po- point of view, but. By, by no means do we have an equal society. So, As an artist, does it get frustrating that it seems like if you, at a certain point, if you want to remain uh, creative and have that outlet, it's either the theater, occasionally an indie movie, or more so than ever now, television, right? I mean, yeah. is that the reason that Grace and Frankie was appealing to you? You're not getting those kinds of parts in movies necessarily? Well, yeah, but I, I mean, it would have been appealing to me. I've never yeah. been, a, I'm, I don't consider myself a movie star. I consider myself a good actor who yeah. was in select projects, and they were all projects I chose right. to be in. Right. So, yes, that that was ma- major to my own sensibility. Mm-hmm. And plus, I, I'm not considered a leading lady. I'm not, you know. I'm well, cons- you had been, and and then with films, comedic, it's like in a comedic sub- role. In comedic roles, right? So the fact and that but a leading lady now they have lots lots of great parts for women. Sure. Um, but the stat that kind of blew my mind, because I, I didn't realize this, was that it's been so the last time prior to Grandma that you had been the central character or, or a co-central character in a movie was Big Business with Bette Midler, right? So that's 27 years, and it just seems like that in that time, as you say, you've, you've always enjoyed and been great in ensembles, but does a part of you bristle at that? Why, you know, it doesn't seem fair to me. No, I'd rather... No, I, no, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like unfair to me mm-hmm. because, as I say, I'm not. I, I I'm just not someone who fills those roles easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could. I mean, sure. I, in my heart, I know I could. Sure. But I'm not because uh, I'm just not the type that the uh, some studio person might envision. Um. So I I don't feel they've been unfair to me personally, okay. but I feel they're unfair to women in the culture. Yeah, and I don't like to see, uh, and I didn't I don't like to see women taking inferior roles. Right, right, and there's it's still it's you a know, dirty tough. business, and somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so when when did you first hear about Grandma and? Uh, what was your immediate response? Because I know you'd worked with with. I worked Mr. with Whites. Paul White's yes. on admission just shortly before that. Yeah, and after we'd gotten uh, admission released and promoted and all that business, Paul wrote, called me and said he wanted to have coffee. He wanted to tell me about an idea he had, and uh, he we went and talked for a minute, and I liked him. I like him anyway mm-hmm. so much, 
and I already, I don't know if I told that story about the washcloths on, uh, about my mother and I went to see Imitation of Life, and his mother, Susan Conner, right. is in the movie. Right, right, right. This was in the late, mid, late 50s, yeah, wasn't it? 59. The movie was 59. Yeah. yeah. So, and Lana Turner and Sandra D and Susan Conner were in that movie, and Susan plays a, a girl of a mixed race, and Juanita Hill was her yes. mother. And my mom was so excited to see the movie, and she said, oh, I know this is just going to be a, a real you know, tearjerker, and she opened her purse, and she had three washcloths inside. So I was, I lived my whole life to meet Susan Conner, and then to meet her son, and he's a director, and I got to tell, I said to him, just, we were talking at my office, and I said, what did did your parents do? And he said his father was a designer, what is he? I think he was actually an agent, Paul Conner, I think was a big agent. Oh, big agent, yeah, Yeah. that's right, because a, Anyway, so, and then he said, and my mother was an actress. Uh, I don't know if you know her, Susan Conner. Well, I, bou- I was bouncing all over the room, you know. Have you had a chance to meet? I have. That's I great. Have. She's lovely. She's beautiful. She's fabulous. I'm, I'm sorry she's retired. I'm sure she could still be doing it. Yeah. But, well, that's cool. And what was it, do you think, that appealed to you beyond the fact that it was another chance to work with Paul that, I mean, it seems like you're a very loud and proud uh, feminist in your own life. Here's a movie that really offered you that chance plus as you as you noted there's quite a few similarities in other ways between you and and l the character it was the content and the and and i love paul's sensibility i loved uh, about a boy and i just i know he had a way uh, a way of just having the character be around something i trusted him mm-hmm. and uh i'm glad i did yeah yeah <laughs> well when you're doing a movie that has virtually no budget. What was it again? It was like six under six hundred. Six hundred thou. Uh, you've got nineteen days to do it. It feels like it might have been a bit of a a grind. Was it enjoyable still? And and totally enjoyable. Totally enjoyable. Yeah, totally. And and I drove my my old. I had an old fifty five Dodge right. uh, um, Royal Lancer. Right. And one day we were we'd been uh, working together on some of the you know just the ideas of the movie and stuff. I mean. Cleaning, you know, talking about yeah. how would L do and so on, and he and he said, I said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to go look at an old car. I said, Well, I've got an old car. <laughs> and that was that. And yeah. your clothes, some of your own. I think you wear. Your- uh, yeah, and the costumer, not to, you know, uh, dismiss the costumer at all, but she, and she brought me good stuff. But I said, you know, I should probably just, I probably had it on. I yeah. said, I should probably just wear this because <laughs> it feels so right. Right. But I have cannot even mention Grandma without, uh, you know, the other actors are so good. And that's a testament to Paul, too, because they just all came on board in a minute. Marsha Gay Harden, um, um, Sam Elliott, yeah. Yeah. John Cho, uh, Elizabeth Pena, who's yeah. died since. Yeah. Um, oh, and my, my granddaughter, Julia Garner, she's just exquisite. She's so wonderful, so real, so... Well, one question I had was that, uh, you know, Paul was saying in an interview that you would go off, I think on the last day, certainly right after shooting wrapped, and you're already off to do uh, your your one-woman show, you know, and you're doing that quite a bit, 30, 40 shows, they were saying, like a year, and maybe even during the making of the film, you were working on other things as well. Why do you, uh, why do you work so hard? You don't have to prove anything to anybody, so what is it that, that well, motivates Well, I mean, you? it's, uh, well, I need the money, so partly. I mean, I have to work. Mm-hmm. To uh, 
I mean, if I could pull way, way back and uh, probably get away without working. But at that time, I, that's, the road was my biggest uh, uh, provider of income. These, these one-woman shows. Yeah. Yeah. And you enjoy those? Yes, it's I do. A, it's it's uh, do you find that no? I mean, <laughs> but I'm, I it, forgot to mention Judy Greer, my girlfriend in the movie. Too. She's I, I so good. It. Yes, you mentioned girlfriend in the movie, and both Grace and Frankie and Grandma feature prominently gay characters, which are which is not something that I think you say prior to your own coming out. That was not. I think you played one before Tea with Mussolini, right? Tea with Mussolini, but we had a gay character in the search. Right. A gay couple. What's your take on how much has changed? Well, that's astonishing. Well, please, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts <clears throat> well, on it. Well, it's just astonishing. I mean, yeah. it's just, uh, um, it's like around the time that the the gay movement started totally being, you know, really being effective. And I mean, we wound up with a, an, an African-American in the White House, too. Yeah. It was just, it was just the timing of stuff and the appearance of change. You could not have predicted it, no. either one. No. It's it's exciting time to be alive. And with Grandma, was the character always going to be a, a gay woman who had had this long relationship with another woman, or was right. it was it? No, no, tailored? it was. She had a long yeah. relationship, and, and that person had died just a year or two before, and right. she was broke because she'd paid off the medical bills. And right. um, of course, I've been in a relationship for forty four years with Jane Wagner, yes. my partner, uh, and. And worked with her as well. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember because, you know, there are certain moments just to, and last thing on this topic, but where, you know, people remember Ellen coming out or they remember uh, Neil Patrick. There were different things, Ian McKellen. In your case, as I recall, was it somebody kind of took it upon themselves to imply or to out you in a way? Yeah, well, I mean, I always talked about Jane, you know, and I, for, for a long, long time. Yeah. And but no, it's like when you're around so long, people uh, either people sort of assume that maybe you're you're out or something, mm-hmm. or or you're not uh, you're not uh, producing eggs anymore. I don't know. I don't know what it. What, I don't know what it is that <laughs> that uh, motivates them. But it right. was like, this was a guy like in Us magazine. Right. Right. You know. So, and he just. Uh, he just wrote. He just wrote about. It. I don't even know how he wrote about. It. I forget the. Phrase. But it's not. The, was it something that you found at the, when it happened? It's annoying or it's upsetting or you didn't mind. No, that. no, it's so funny because uh, the show, The View. Yeah, The View. Yeah. I'd just been on The View like two or three days before that, yeah. and and uh, Barbara, oh, Barbara said yeah. to me, she said, "You're not married, Lily. Is there a reason? I mean, you just haven't met the right guy." <laughs> but she. And I, and I said, now, Barbara, we both know that's not the reason. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe that she... was she, just baiting you. Or, or, I, oh, no, I don't I think she may have forgotten I, that was oh gay. I don't know what she thought. It was kind of comical, but... but within, so within the community of actors and people in the business, they knew. It was, oh, my God, yeah. 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 I, I, since I, as much, at least since I started doing specials. Yeah. It's Even just George Stevens at the Kennedy Center, when I did the, the Vegas special... Where they're trying to impress on me what uh, I mean, uh, Mickey Green is supposed to be like a comic in yeah. Vegas. Uh, he he's an actor, and uh, he said he said he gives me a joke, and the joke is, I could have any uh, any guy any gal 
or in your case, guy I pleased. Unfortunately, I didn't please any. And when I get on my do my act, right. I get the joke all right. mixed right. up, you know? Oh, my gosh. And George Stevens wrote to me something about uh, something about guys and a gal and something like that. And that was years That's before. That's funny. Well, the last two things I just want to ask you is when you look at the world of sketch comedy today and how many females have sort of followed in your footsteps and are, whether it's the Tina Fey's and the Amy Pollers or now Amy Schumer is sort of the, the thing of the moment, what do you make of them and of the phenomenon that, you know, I, one of the things I read preparing for this was a New York Times article, I think from 1970, marveling that there could be female comics like you and Joan Rivers and Madeline Kahn and all these, you know, that you didn't have to mess up your hair and act, you know, you could be feminine and attractive and still be funny. (laughs) Now, from then, just 45 years later, what do you make of how much things have changed or maybe not? Well, it's kind of part of, it's part of the other change. It's still not in the same uh, equal terms of male performance. I mean, on Saturday Night Live, Look at back to at the original cast in the seventies right. and all the guys Belushi and Aykroyd and who are and Steve goes on the yeah. show like a regular and uh, I can't remember the other guys but and Lorraine and Gilda they never got the chances that those guys did to make movies they had they had failures yeah and they'd have one in the can one on the stage and one in the theater. You know, it never failed. And Gilda got to do, like, in some kind of supporting way. I don't think she was, like, led the movie. Right, right. Uh, And Madeline never got the opportunity. She was in a couple of uh, Mel's movies. She was in Paper Moon, too, and she was wonderful. I mean, Madeline and Gilda... Madeline more than Gilda, because I knew Madeline, because I was at the upstairs and the downstairs with her. Uh, she was sub- divine. I I just adored Madeline, uh, and I thought and I thought uh, Gilda was yeah. hilarious and wonderful and sweet and vulnerable. Right. You know. And of this current crop, who stands out to you? Um. Well, I don't watch the show that much. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to say, but uh, and not necessarily specific I, to SNL, but just any any of the oh the comedians. Yeah. Oh well, I think Amy is talented. Which Amy? Amy Schumer, Schumer and I think Polar and, <laughs> and I think Polar and right. and, uh, and Tina are I right. did the movie with Tina. Sure. Uh, there's and I love Maya Rudolph. She yeah. was wonderfully yeah. talented. But I did a movie with her too. I right. did uh, the Altman movie. Right, right, right. What is it called? <laughs> well, which I'm trying to which one was the, it? It's the one it's uh Oh, uh, Prairie Home. Prairie yeah, Home, yeah, right, yeah, Prairie yeah, Home. Okay. Well, the last question is this. Um, you seem like a pretty happy person outside of work, and yet I look at other comedians and or comics, and time and again you just hear that, that these very sad things, whether it's Robin Williams or so many others, and I just wonder what has been your secret to avoiding some of the pitfalls that seem to come with, you know, just with this kind of a life. I don't know. I think uh, maybe I maybe I've never hit uh, the level that they that Robin or any of those people did. Um, I had enough. I had enough admiration and respect uh, for what I did or was doing all the time uh, that I I didn't take myself too seriously. I mean, I I'm temperamental and and uh, need to be run out of town very very often. <laughs> but you're you're no, still I, here and still going strong. Yeah, yeah. because I and I have a. 
I kind of have a, a maybe maybe I'm I, I you'd have to ask people. I I was going to say I I think I have a kind of a more lighthearted but sad view on life. I mean, I see life as sad and hilarious, tragic and comic, just rampant. <laughs> I can't I can't turn away from it. I see it so clearly. I see I mean, and the other and people who are disenfranchised. I mean, uh, I was watching with Jane last night. I got home late from the from the set, but uh, she was watching a, a, a kind of documentary that was made on on the Indian, the American Native American mm-hmm. culture, uh, and about Indians who come to uh, to L.A. from the reservation in the fifties. Wow! And so, and they were living in a slummy part of town, and you know, a lot of just disenfranchised. And uh, and the women are very different from the men at that time. Right. They're just they reflect the culture. Right. The men had a lot of freedom. They they went out and drank and caroused and just filled up their lives with buddies and and language and and alcohol and card playing and stuff. And the women had to stay home with the children uh, in grim little places. Oh, just uh, so you feel feel. And they strong. all had religion. Right. Right. Or it seemed like they had the depths of religion. I right. see so right. many uh, cultural groups that do, and I just, uh, and then I think about we're just like poor humans, poor, pitiful humans. And all you can do is laugh. <laughs> and all you can do is laugh. Well, thank you very much for yeah. hearing us and for many laughs. All I right. Thank it. you thank a you. lot. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.